Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I am ready. Let's go. Are we going to go talk to you first before we go? Oh, yeah. Well, right off the bat, I just want to apologize for last week's episode. There were technical malfunctions. I think maybe it had something to do with, you know, 10-year-old equipment no longer being supported by upgrades. Or I think a better theory of what happened, Ma. Yes, ma'am. Was that the part that cut out on me was when I was talking about the the group of people in Chicago called the Blackstone Rangers, which was one of the many groups. Um, and when I talked about that entire part of the podcast was, um, yeah, nobody heard it. And like earlier, so basically we've decided – that it was Platinum Fuckboy, J. Edgar Hoover, coming up to fuck with us when we're doing Judas and the Black Messiah. Exactly. Just coming up from the grave, the man can't keep his hands off of Black Pride. Unbelievable. Exactly. His gnarly, charred hand, because you know he's in the depths mm-hmm. of hell. I, I hope he stays the fuck away from this podcast. But he... Yeah, he better. Let's see. All right. I have, just to start this off completely differently, um, I have a bit of a mystery that's going on here. And, okay, so I've been in lockdown doing my own laundry, you know, RV bathtub laundry situation. I cycle every week through four pairs of socks. Okay? I have four pairs of socks. It's been a year I've been doing this. I use about three per day. I cannot believe that. No, I, I got my four that I cycle through. For the week. I, for the week. I lost a sock. And you don't have a washing machine that could have eaten it. I don't. I don't understand where my sock. I'm missing a sock. It's been. It hasn't been out of here. I don't understand. Then I thought about it, and the only explanation, there's two. The fuck boys, Wilson and Hoover, of course, <laughs> came and took your green sock. Came and took it. Or I did go out of the house to run some errands yesterday, and my clothes were out. Did someone break into my house, steal the one sock? I think that's it. And, and it's messing with me. So or... Me, guys, Did you wash it before you left the house? No, because mm, I had maybe it was stuck to your pants. You know, I thought that, but she doesn't use a dryer where they would be stuck to her clothes. And no. I know I went through all of my clothes this morning that were hung up to see where if it. No, I had the, and then I was like, well, maybe it fell somewhere in the washing machine spin cycle. No, maybe I threw it away. I it would I guess I so now do you only have three pairs of socks for the week? No, I have to bust into the sock reserve. Oh no! Oh, she has a sock reserve. Well, the sock reserve is just the the before prior to twenty twenty. The sock reserve was just the socks. (laughs) You know, when when space and wearing clothes was a luxury. 
and I wasn't manually doing it myself in the bathtub. Because you don't have a pet that would have taken it and hidden it. No, and this isn't like, it's not like I live in an estate. It's what, 400 yeah. square feet? Like this yeah. size. So if something happens to me, there's a, a weird psycho serial killer messing with me. Okay. We've heard those. We've heard these stories before. So and, I just put it out there. And his thing that he collects is one sock. Oh, it's just it's just a thing to just fuck with me because I I yeah, wouldn't it could be. I wouldn't think that somebody came in and just stole one sock. It's really diabolically genius. Um, okay, but you have to let us know as soon as you find the other sock. Because it's got to be there. Yeah, or the fuckboys are at it again. Okay. So that's just a little quick aside of the biggest story to come out of the Chateau Simpson <laughs> in a year. It was like the biggest, the biggest news. Thought I would share. <laughs> Did you guys see Saturday Night Live last night? Yes. They did a, the girls all did a thing about, uh, they couldn't wait for their husbands or significant uh, others to I leave. I missed that one. So yeah, that they could it. watch their murder Yeah, <laughs> I have a couple of things. I started Behind Her Eyes and I only have gotten into one episode. I have Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race I haven't been able to watch. Time to catch up. I don't have time. I know. I, I know. Ya. I feel you. People with jobs, I'm really sorry. I totally feel you. All right. Are we, are we ready to go to go in the time machine? We're going to go to, I don't think we've gone here before, Boston, Massachusetts. I think we did go to Boston because I remember us trying not to and then completely butchering the accent. I think we must have. I think for the verdict. The verdict was set in oh, Boston. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yes, we are going to Boston. Following the Battle of Antietam, I had to look up where was Antietam. Oh, yeah. Where Antietam is was where is also called the Battle of Sharpsburg, Maryland. Oh. Now, it was really the Union took um, took credit for winning it, but it was really a stalemate. But because the Union took credit for it, that was when Lincoln was then able to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm. So yeah, pretty important. It, the The Civil War wasn't really going too too great for the old Union there. Exactly. <laughs> So following the Battle of Antietam, Colonel Robert Shaw is offered command of U.S. 1st African-American Regiment, the 5th Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry. What could go wrong? <laughs> well, what, what could happen? Okay, the particulars. Oh, I, I'm trying a new everything's so new. I have new notes. I have new equipment. Uh oh, it's gonna be a rather ragged podcast. Where are we? Fuck boys, be gone. <laughs> Get behind me. <laughs> okay, Glory. It was released on limited release 
December 15, 1989, to make it eligible for the Academy Awards. Its wide release came on February 16, 1990. So we were in Germany. Mm-hmm. It was produced by Freddie Fields, who also did Looking for Mr. Goodbar, American Gigolo, and Crimes of the Heart. Directed by Edward Zwick, who also directed About Last Night, Legends of the Fall, Courage Under Fire, The Last Samurai, Blood Diamond, and Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. The screenplay is by Kevin Jarre, or Jarre, J-A-R-R-E. He also wrote The Devil's Own. Nerd Alert, he also wrote and was directing and then fired after one month of Tombstone. Oh. So, I'm your huckleberry. Um, <clears throat> he wrote that screenplay. He also wrote the screenplay for Navy Seals, The Jackal, and the 1999 Mummy. Another nerd alert, he played the soldier that almost got his ass beat by Denzel Washington and then... Denzel Washington's character, and then later tells them, give them hell, 54th. Remember when those guys were, the white troops were walking into battle? Mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. Yeah, he was that guy. Um, it's based on Lay This Laurel, a 1973 novel or maybe essay by Lincoln Kirstein. This guy, Lincoln, he was an American writer impresario, art connoisseur, philanthropist, and cultural figure in New York City, along with being the co-founder of the New York City Ballet. He was, quote, an expert in many fields. He also received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and Bob Balaban's character in the film, The Monuments Men, is based on him. Oh, interesting. He's a very interesting fellow. Um, it's also based on One Gallant Rush, colon, Robert Gould Shaw and His Brave Black Regiment, which was a 1965 novel by Peter Burchard, who was an author, freelance designer, and illustrator. And he mostly wrote children's books about slavery, abolitionism, and the American Civil War. He wrote 26 books and illustrated over 100. Hmm. What, what could go wrong there? Uh, well, <laughs> and it's also based on the personal letters of Robert Gould Shaw. The music is by James Horner. This is in AFI's in 2005. The American Film Institute had a top 25 American film score and a list. And he had James Horner had five films that were on this list. So not too shabby. He also he, he did Field of Dreams, Glory, Apollo 13, Braveheart, and Titanic. Those are the five that's on the AFI list. Wow, I got goosebumps. He also did Aliens, Avatar, that the song Somewhere Out There from an American Tale. Oh, Fightful. 48 Hours, Willow, and Legends of the Fall, just to name a few. That guy, he did Damn. so many movies. He passed away not too long ago in an aviation accident. Oh, he was into aviating. Mm. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Aviating. Aviating. The director of photography is Freddie Francis. He uh, shot the 1991 Cape Fear. 
He also did The Elephant Man, and his final film was the film The Straight Story. He also did other films. Edited by Steven Rosenblum, who also cut Legends of the Fall, Braveheart, and Blood Diamond, just to name a few. The cast, starring Matthew Broderick as Colonel Robert Gould Shaw. So this movie came out in 1989. It's kind of a trip to watch it, because... I'm used to, like, the most, to me, the most famous Matthew Broderick performance is as Ferris Bueller. Right. And so in 1986, this is just three years removed from Ferris Bueller. So it's like, look at Ferris Bueller with facial hair. Um, He was also in Biloxi Brew. I think they pasted it on. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Biloxi Blues, The Cable Guy, Election. And he was also the adult voice of Simba. In The Lion King. I did not know that. Oh. I, I had forgotten about that. Oh, yeah. I don't like him. Oh, you don't like Matthew Bro- Even I hate the way he looks. I hate the way he looks. What? I know that's mean to say. No, that's that's how you feel. Go I ahead. Don't, I don't like him. He annoys me. I hate the way he looks. He has a touch of an annoying voice. Mm-hmm. I guess because I my the first time I ever saw him was because of Ferris Bueller and his day off and well yeah I mean that's hard not to like and I like him in that you can't not but I don't know there's just something about the way he looks that I just don't like you know mm-hmm. that's it that's all I have to say about that he's just kind of a punchable face to me yeah I love face. it and somebody that like you like I don't know just somebody that do people think he's good looking I don't know like he's not like a heartthrob I guess no not but at he all was in the 80s was he really yeah with Ferris Bueller see Ferris Bueller was funny haha but as a teacher watching Ferris Bueller it's like you you are that annoying kid yeah yeah I think that's what I maybe that's why I don't like him because I just think he's annoying. Yeah, that's very fair. And he also in later he kind of I think has leaned into that annoying. Yeah, like just thinking about election, the yeah. you know the character he played in election, how he just yeah. Was it like Go Go Gadget? Sarah Jessica Parker? Mm-hmm. Like really? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, she clearly moved on, but. Did she? I thought they're still together. They're still married. Oh, I thought she married somebody new. <laughs> no. They're still married? I'm pretty sure. I, I mean, they had a bumpy patch, but I think they're still married. Oh. All right. Well, I'll continue with the particulars and somebody can look that up. <laughs> they split in 1991, probably because she hated the look at his face. <laughs> I love it. I love this bicycle. Oh, they're still married. But. Oh. Well, they didn't marry until 1997. She split from Robert Downey Jr. in 1991. Oh, so. Oh, 91 uh, Downey Jr.? Who? Wow. Yeah, I wonder if he knew that she even left. <laughs> That's a good one, Bob. That's a good one. I guess that's who her kid's with. Yeah. Yeah. Like, look at his picture on here. 
I, I can't see it because you froze, and the way that you froze is hilarious. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and I just see a circle with CM in it right now. So. Oh, my God. I know. It'll come, you'll come back to me. The fuck boys at it again. Exactly. The fuck boys are never going to leave us alone. And you just wait. In two weeks, uh, on Us Magazine is going to have something about the fuck boys. Yeah. Yeah. Or Matthew Broderick. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is sure. total. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well. Okay. All right. What are you going right. to do? Right. Let's, enough about Broderick. Let's move on to somebody that I believe and hope, or else this is the last podcast we are doing, has universal God with the Bushes acclaim. Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm not there yet. Denzel Washington. Yes. Okay, yeah. Universal treasure. Denzel Washington as Private Trip. He was also in A Soldier Story, Cry Freedom, Malcolm X, Philadelphia, Crimson Tide, Devil in a Blue Dress, Remember the Titans, and Training Day. Merely just to name a few. If you don't know him, Denzel Washington. Pelican Brief. Yeah, everyone I told about the priest is dead. <laughs> I can't not think that. Carrie Eloise, Eloise, I never know how to say that. He was Major Cabot Forbes. I just, anytime I see him, it's Wesley from the Wesley Princess Bride. from Princess Bride. Also, Robin Hood in Robin Hood Men in Tights. And then he was also in Hot Shots and the Saw film series. Now we have Morgan Freeman as mm-hmm. Sergeant Major John Rawlins. He was also in Driving Miss Daisy, which also was in 1989. And I've I thought Miss Daisy. And wasn't it the movie of the year? Yeah, well, we'll get to that in Tasty Nuggets. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Unforgiven, The Shawshank Redemption, and Bruce Almighty, just to name a few. Uh, Andre Brower as Corporal Thomas Seer, seal, seerless. Mm. I he just was did in, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, Thomas. He was in the Tuskegee Airmen, which we did. Primal Fear, Get on the Bus. He's probably best known to anyone who's my age from Homicide, Life on the Streets, and anyone who's younger than me, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yes. Um, Jimmy Kennedy. He played Shart. He was on the Dream Team and Spencer for Hire, and my dad's favorite show tour of duty raymond saint jacques as frederick douglas he was the first black american to play a regular on a western series he played simon blake on rawhide he was also in cotton comes to harlem he was also in black like me the green berets and in 1977 he publicly criticized the lack of minority roles in star wars well done Lest we think that was a new development. And those are the particulars. Uh, Golden Globes So White will be on tonight. Well, Robert Shaw, this, oh, this comes up, this, um, let's see, title card. Yes, Erin, it's a title card? Yes. Title. She wasn't listening to me. She was doing something else. Uh, I can't tell if Christine is or not because I still have the circle. Okay. 
Robert Shaw, the son of a wealthy Boston abolitionist, was 23, 23 years old when he enlisted to fight in the war between the states. He wrote home regularly, telling his parents of life in the gathering army of the Potomac. These letters are collected in the Hofton Library of Harvard University. I hope I said that library's name right. That's a hard one. Okay, so we start uh, with a Civil War encampment, and we see men marching, and we have a voiceover of Robert writing a letter to his mother. Dear mother. Very, I forgot to look at up, but it, I got... um. Civil War vibes, the Ken Burns, and I'm pretty sure that it probably came out either a little bit before this or right around the same time. Ken mm-hmm. Burns is because I, uh, you know, back in June went to revisit it. Was uh, taking notes back in June. <laughs> you need to write to the Fairfax County School Board and <laughs> let them know just you know, how you feel about mind. their curriculum. <laughs> Well, we see um, people of color marching, uh, migrating. So, so this is my question: Were these enslaved people who um, who had escaped? This was, or- I think, this is um, like the kind of the same thing that you would see in World War II movies, where it's people like. Oh, there's like killing going on, and also apparently now I'm free, and also I just need to get the fuck away from whatever is going on back there. That's but they weren't free yet. That was that was my confusion. I got it, it. It appeared to me that they had been freed, and there were people who were migrating north. But the emancip. Oh yeah, it would have. Because no, because the Battle of Antietam hadn't happened yet. Yeah, but it. I mean, if your uh, master, if like his place is burned down and he's off fighting with the the Johnny Rebels, um, and you know you're hearing okay. gunshots and stuff, I, I'm like, I, I just know that we can't stay here. Like, right. let's let's go. Where so are they're we going? Right. People had North- packed what little they had because they didn't have a lot and we're walking with bare feet just trying to get away from the battles um because it is uh we have the antietam battle and then we have at the battle the the very first people in the battle that are the are the first walking toward the cannon fire and the rifles and such um, then we see the Union Army retreating, and there were people of color that were cleaning up the bodies. And we see Mar- Morgan Freeman, and he finds Captain Shaw alive. And then Captain Shaw gets up, and he sees just a field of bodies. And he looks so young. Right, that's why he looks like Ferris Bueller. Then we go to an Army hospital. And we hear that the Emancipation Proclamation has happened. So now there's a social event happening at the home of Captain Shaw. And people are laughing and eating and drinking. Um, 
and well, you kind of you kind of skipped over something, Ma. So I skipped over a lot. So well, jump in just to because it's this is just like the setting of the table, but I kind of think this is an important part because it's in the Battle of Antietam. This is the first time that he's seeing the shit, like somebody's head explodes and stuff, just the carnage of it, and he. He gets hit. He gets like nicked in the neck, and he just goes down. And he has one of those those weird kind of gray area things of like the survival mode kicks in, mm-hmm. and it's just like, all right, I think it's just best for me to just play dead and live to fight another day. So that's what he's doing, and that's when Morgan Freeman's character, because he's one of the the men who have to bury the dead. And so they're going around kicking, being like, who's wounded, who's dead, and he kicks um, Ghoul. Which is a terrifying job. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, <laughs> like, I feel like your heart would just jump every time. I know. But he, Morgan Freeman's character is such a grizzled vet, like veteran at this that he instantly is like, oh, no, that guy's alive. I don't see anything. His brains aren't everywhere and And his legs are intact and his intestines are still encased so he kicks him and and he sees the that he's was he a he was he a colonel or is it no he's a captain because he sees the right he was a captain and And so he kicks him and he's like all right get up and and it's that weird you know because the Shaw guy, who's Broderick, knows that this guy knows that he just pretended to play dead. Which, it seems like something that you would do, but then also in the military culture, it's kind of like, are you, I guess, are you a coward then? But I I don't know. It seems very I reasonable. don't think so. I think he, like, if you're if not you, would have just been dead. You can live to fight the next day. Like mm-hmm. Exactly. But there are some people who would look at that as... I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. So, wait, where am I? Okay. So, we're at the home of uh, Captain Shaw, and his mother is... I didn't notice. Oh, my gosh. She's... Oh, okay. I'll come back to it because she's one of my faves. Oh. Um. But it's kind of like he's looking at the excesses that are here after he just left this battlefield of of human bodies and human body parts everywhere. And he sees a black man, and this black man has uh, is a free man, and he works for his father. And this is Thomas, who we'll learn a whole lot more about later. And we also meet Frederick Douglass. And uh, the governor wants to have a regiment of black volunteers. So we see Wesley. What's his name in this? Um, he Wesley from Princess Bride. Major Cabot Forbes. Okay. And he's talking about how unpopular it's going to be to hand out guns to a bunch of coloreds. And... Uh, Matthew Broderick says, I'm going to do it, and I need you to come with me. Yeah, Major Forbes. So now we are to uh, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw? That's the first time I put that together. Um, Looking over his men, his regiment of uh, 
mostly runaway slaves, enslaved people, mostly runaway enslaved people, I would think, and, and some free people. And he addresses them, and they are forming companies, and all of the white soldiers are, of course, making disparaging remarks. So we we see Morgan Freeman, we see Denzel, and we see Thomas, and they're all in the same tent. Now, those tents look like they held two people, and this tent held a whole bunch of people because we have the guy who stuttered. Mm-hmm. Shart. We have the the little drummer boy. Mm-hmm. We have Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. We have Denzel. Mm-hmm. Did we have somebody else in there? So we have four. Oh, did we have Tom? Did we have, you said we had Thomas? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, no, I didn't. So that's oh, five. five. Okay. So uh, maybe I did. Maybe I was. Okay. Nobody's keeping count. Um, and so Thomas comes in and he's quite educated and he speaks. And, and Denzel makes reference to the fact that he likes it when a person of color talks like a white man. Okay, so um, they kept asking, uh, what was his name, the guy who stutters? Sharts. Sharts? Like, yeah, Juniper Sharts. Sharts? That's unfortunate. Well, Sharts wasn't a thing. Along came Polly hadn't come out yet. <laughs> okay, well, that's unfortunate. But they, they didn't know about, like, oh, the, is this a fart? And then, <gasps> I can't. Okay. Well, probably another name for it back in those days. He, uh, he kept asking, when do we get our blue suit? And we find out that the little child drummer is a mute. So then um, they are teaching these people of color how to march. And, uh, and it was an Irish sergeant major who was brought in to to teach him the ropes and he goes you people don't know your left from your right they were they were not allowed to be educated they weren't allowed to learn how to read and write so how are they going to know these things so any so here we go okay the drill sergeant is pretty hard on them um and uh we have no word of uniforms or rifles for them because everybody knows these guys are not going to actually fight. They're going to do all of the uh manual labor parts, you know, like picking up the dead bodies and dead body parts. Um but the but the drill sergeant is saying, you know, these these people are almost brave and sedate under instruction. Um, then we have Matthew Broderick standing up saying they just got a communication from the confederated, the confederate the army traitors. that says, um, any person of color who is found, um, fighting for the North will be returned to their plantation as a slave. Any person who is found, any person of color who's found in a union military uniform will be immediately killed. Any officer of people of color will also automatically be killed upon being taken prisoner of war. 
So they're not even being there. They are. There are no prisoners of war now. It's you're dead. Right. So um, Robert Shaw says anybody who wants to leave now, you get a full discharge. It's not dishonorable. Anybody who wants to leave now can leave. And uh, the next morning he asks Cabot. So how many do we have left? And all of them were still there. So at this point, Robert Shaw is seeing the sergeant major being really hard on Thomas. And Robert has been friends with Thomas since they were kids. And so he's going, why are you so hard on them? And uh, the sergeant major says, you got to let Thomas grow up a little bit. They are getting guns. And but the, they're hearing the rumor that they're only going to be used for manual labor. Oh, then we give Sharts a gun, and he is like a sniper. He's a sharp He's shooter. really good, but he's not fast with the reloading. Because remember, we don't have rounds and rounds of ammunition back here. This, you had to put the gunpowder in. You had to tamper it down. Then you had to ignite. I mean, it was really yeah, hard yeah, to had reload. To but he said, yeah. go ahead, Teeny. I read that. In order, because they, I read about how you had to get in, like, prerequisite for getting into the Army for the Civil War, and it was basically, like, there were no, there was nothing, but you had to have your front teeth so that you could tear open the packaging. Interesting. Oh. Wow. But other than that, you could just join. Oh, my gosh. I Well done. I mean, if you were white. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because it didn't matter. In a man. Oh, yeah, that too. And <laughs> just a few friends. Even you're good. Um, so the, uh, the captain, well, he's now a colonel because mm-hmm. he got um, promoted to the rank of colonel. He just skipped over major, I guess, because um, he, t- he took on this uh Battalion. Well, he uh, was friend. His family was friends with the governor. I believe his name was Governor Andrews, and he was big time into um, wanting there to be a black regiment, and he was uh, petitioning Lincoln and stuff. So when the Emancipation Proclamation went in, the governor was like, "Yo, this is us. This is Massachusetts." And then he was very good friends with Shaw's, or yeah, his uh, father. And so he's like, oh, well, you're a captain. Um, would you like to take this command? Not a lot of people in line raising their hand to, to go ahead and, and lead the first um, African-American regiment. Regiment, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, you're a captain? Yeah, there you go. Become a colonel. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay, well, he is... Uh, telling them that they need to be able to take three shots a minute. So that's really fast reloading. Um, and and it, it's like a, the tough love scene where he's, mm-hmm. you know, sharpshooting and it's, he's like, I was in Antietam. This is what it, okay. And then he's shooting the gun off and really it, it's, it's hard to watch, but at the same time it is like, yo, you're going to have to do it. Yeah. War is a different kind of beast. And, 
it's that weird thing of like, is he being a dick or is he being a tough love dick? Yeah. Well, he learned it. I think he learned it from the Irish Sergeant Major and um that he's he was he was hard on them because he wanted them to survive. If if you weren't hard on them and you didn't teach them everything they needed to know, they weren't going to survive. But I also think because of the times, like that, both, it's one of those both things can be true of having to be really tough on them for them to be survive. But then also, it's not like none of these guys didn't have any racial bias. Oh, yeah. There's a difference between it's like, okay, yeah, you shouldn't be enslaved, but I don't think these guys were like, these are my equals. No, they weren't. Let me introduce you to my sister. Yeah. Um, So there is a talk between um, Shaw and Wesley from Princess Bride. It's easier to call him Wesley. And he's, why are you so hard on him? And he's saying um, that he wants to teach them properly. And Thomas, truth be told, is not a very good soldier. And marching is probably all they'll ever do. So at this point, I kind of ask Poppy, like, why is it in the military you tear them down to build them up? And I feel like the gist of his answer was, uh, well, they got to know that they can trust each other. They they are building camaraderie as they are building each other back up. And you got to know you can trust the guy next to you to be to take care of you, you know. And it's the the famous poppy maxim. Sometimes I don't have time to explain to you what needs to happen. I just need you to do it. And so they they drill that into people in the military so that when an order they issue an order that issue that order gets done. And yeah. So this is kind of like this. We've been watching and there's a new show on Netflix called Canine Intervention. Mm. Um and it's this guy who lives in it takes place in California California. Um but Okay, so side note, it's a great show. It's like kind of like Suzu Milan, but it's mostly based on it's like mostly people of color that are involved in it. And then he hires people in wheelchairs. Like it's a very inclusive show. Um, like there's a lot of like black and brown families that are shown having their dogs on here, and it's just like you know they're trying to get their dogs you know trained all this shit. But he also uh, so he helps people who are having problems with their dog and gets them trained and so they can keep their dog and whatever. But he also um, trains protection dogs, German shepherds. Mm-hmm. And um, he was talking about, because we were like, why do you, he has them learn their commands in German. Uh-huh. Um, which like at first we were like, I wonder why. But like really when you think about it, if you're like, Anybody could just say attack and like mm-hmm. anybody yeah. can tell your dog to do that. But like if your dog knows German commands, I don't know if that's the reasoning, but that's what I interpret. But it's such a gruff language. Yeah. But his whole thing was like, um, even when he was like having like the one episode, there was a 12 year old who he was having, like helping him train his dog. 
And even then he's like, no, you can only say the command once because once you start saying it more and more, it loses like it loses its meaning. And like, so mm-hmm. when they're trying to tell the dog like place or no or whatever, he's like, you only, you should only have to say the command once. And then, um, and they know it's serious. Like you have to train them like that. But right. in the beginning, they were like, you got to do this 30 times a day, you gotta do 50 times a day, even with the dogs. I was like, oh, it's just like being in the army. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I had a principal once tell us that training children is much like training a dog. Yeah. I mean, you, you, positive rewards and you just you just keep repeating it until they get it. And then you move on to the next skill. <laughs> uh, oh, I like the German part. So they were saying marching is probably all they'll ever do, but uh, Shaw wants to train them for battle. Um, And the training left Thomas in tears. That was a really heart-wrenching scene where Thomas wanted to talk to Robert because they had grown up together. But, of course... That's not not how the military works. Robert is saying, I'm your commanding officer. To talk to me, you have to go through channels. And so, um, yeah, enlisted men wishing to speak to their commanding officer must ask permission. And then we go to the tent, and the little mute boy is drumming his drum. <laughs> Denzel says, oh, boy, if you don't quit that drumming in here. And uh, so it has been 40 minutes. A lot has happened. A lot of beautiful cinematography a lot of beautiful score going on i recommend this movie if people who like classic movies and just because this is just a classic hollywood war movie the this just epicness the shots the score definitely epicness Mm -hmm. okay so we are to poc and of course we aren't going to do a people of color count and and as far as cast military is cast yeah i had that down because that was like the thing with um thomas is that you had two casts going you had the well he's black and the officers are white and but he's used to them being treated on as an equal but it's like no man now you're in the military and the military is definitely a cast you have your enlisted you have your commanding officers and the officers were all the soldiers of the 50 54th Massachusetts regiment were all black. All the commanding officers were all white. Yep. And it did. It just made me think of like just that caste system within the caste system. Yes. My LVP is part of this. Should I say it now? Sure. I guess I could. Okay. Um, my LVP and power of caste is just a power of caste moment present day. I guess the fact that we needed the letters to be part of the story to I don't know it was kind of like you needed the main character to be this white guy that and like we needed to I I just didn't think the letters needed to be part of it like it was like oh like at first I thought it was a story about this guy I clearly I'd never heard of this movie somehow I thought the name was Lori (laughs) um so I don't know I just thought that was a whole 1989 to present power of cast moment where like Okay, we needed Matthew Broderick to be the star of this movie. 
mm-hmm. in order for it to make it. Exactly. Exactly. That was exactly my power of cast is the like who gets to tell this story and how it's all of his letters. And there, I have more to this later in Tasty Nuggets, but it's just like exactly what Teeny was saying. And I came across a quote that just reiterates it from 1989 by uh, Roger Ebert, the famous film critic. He said, quote, watching Glory, I had one reoccurring problem. I didn't understand why it had to be told so often from the point of view of the 54th white commanding officer. Why did we see the black troops through his eyes instead of seeing him through theirs? To put it another way, why does the top billing of this movie go to a white actor? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say because without his letters, this story would never have been told. Save that. Put a button in, in that, though, Ma. Put a button in that. Okay. That's well, we because we see Matthew Broderick giving his letters to the reporter who obviously, who hopefully won't die mm-hmm. in the final scene. Um, well, clearly, he and didn't. that's how people knew of this story. And he, he says to him, well, there are so many people involved. Like, how did other people not know about the story? All right, because right, I'm just going to. So I looked in. We can do it out of order. Go ahead, Aaron. Okay, because I was, you know, kind of interested in this because at, at first I also am thinking, well, that's his were the only hit. The reason we're seeing it through his eyes is because one is 1989 and they're not going to let a black, they're not going to let Denzel Washington's character be the lead in this. They're just well, art. True. And his were the letters that were deemed important enough to keep because his, he came from a rich family. His mother had his letters, you know, they saved it except. And so by the way, all of the commanding officers, real people, all of the black people in this movie are fictitious. Here, but there is but not one, all of them, not all the way. Oh, just like the names. There's what you're. Yeah, they're they're all like made up characters. But there's one Frederick Douglass makes an appearance in this film. Mm-hmm. He's a real character. Barely. Both yeah. of his sons were in went because they grew up in D.C. Charles and Lewis traveled from D.C. to join in April 1863. Charles then transferred to the 5th Cavalry and became 1st Sergeant. Lewis, his oldest son, was a Sergeant Major in the 54th Massachusetts Regiment and was wounded at Fort Wagner. And he wrote letters to his wife. So, and those letters are in Those letters, this is from archives.gov. Those letters are around is it a thing where now we have the internet and we're able to do all of this research? Because, you know, the guy that wrote the screenplay, he went in and, and looked to it. How much research did he go about doing? It's easy to see, like, oh, here's Robert Shaw's letters and the books and all of that. And so it's very – I was the same way. I thought, like, oh, well, they didn't tell their stories. It turns out they know a lot about – the veterans and the people who the black men who served in the 54th Massachusetts wow. regiment like that's 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 a gaslight that's been put on us i say the quote for this film is teeny's quote why was this told through a white per- why was why was this story told through 
the eyes of the white colonel and not through the eyes of the sergeant major and the enlisted men. I have a quote. Why did we need Matthew Broderick? Are we going to put just the Matthew Broderick slander? Why do we need Matthew Broderick? Okay. And I disappear. <laughs> but you are found with a green it's, it's It looks green, but it's really teal. It's my okay. teal sock. It's one of my favorites. Although oh, I, I, couldn't, yeah, okay, I, I couldn't. It's a Bombas. It's a Bombas. It's a Bombas that's missing. No, it's a Bombas. Uh-oh. Okay. Oh. Teeny, be looking for Bomba's teal socks in your future. I kind of don't feel that we're bearing the lead because we're talking about the oldest son of Frederick freaking Douglas. Like, that man doesn't have an interesting story to tell. Your father is one of the, the most, at that time, the most famous black man. Like, he's the man. He is the black man. Right. You're his oldest son. All of that, plus you're black. Like, he, that's, why are we not hearing his story? This should have been about, and he was the sergeant major. With the sergeant major, that was the highest rank. Because Morgan Freeman's character gets it because they say, you know, hey, we're officers. We have to be white. But the highest rank that you can have is actually is the sergeant major. And we think you should be the sergeant major. Wow. What was that noise? That was me totally agreeing with you because still you go to the commissary or the PX and there are still reserved parking spaces for the sergeant major. Yeah, the sergeant major is, he is the, I mean, he's, he's upper middle management, but he's the highest middle. I don't want to, oh man, I I don't mean to offend any sergeant majors. No. I feel like they would know what I'm talking about because they deal with the enlisted people, but then they also have to deal with the officers who the guaranteed the sergeant major knows more than 75% of the officers that are above them. Any officers who are, any young first lieutenant, second lieutenants will tell, if they are honest, will tell you Mm-hmm. They listen to Sergeant Major because he knows a whole lot more than you do. That is your education right it's there. Like, it's like the head nurse, you know, the the one that is the, the nurse that is in charge of all the, the most senior nurses. Like that person is the one that is really running the show. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, any other, well, cast, I mean, cast is oh, just the entire cast. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but wait, 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 wait. Yes, um, that, oh, and then also, like, for Thomas, who, they said that he was kind of based upon Frederick Douglass's son, but from what I've read of Frederick Douglass's son, that's... Well, that, I, I mean, think, yeah. They're ju- just in, I think the similarity is that they were educated black men, and that's it. Um, but no matter how far, like, how educated Thomas was, there was, all, there was always a cap to oh, how yeah. To go, that's right. Cast. Um, and then also the final, like, there's that whole thing where, well, I get to that with my reheatables, but they kind of came up, and some may, I don't know what your mileage is on this, the idea of the happy Negro, 
Yeah. Like the happy black person. Yeah. So it was like they're doing the ba- like backbreaking labor and all this, and then they flip a switch, and it's jovial and jovial. And I guess I guess they had to do that in slavery and stuff. And it was just like I don't. They. I mean. Yeah. They would have people were have find a way to have a good time to find a way to have a good time. But your track record in Hollywood, I I didn't really like. I, it was yeah, that- implying. That was that was a very um, uncomfortable moment when they were saying, "Wow, they're really good at taking orders." Yeah, because they got their feet cut off if they didn't. But then they could flip a switch and be the happiest people you've ever seen. Yeah. Okay, so we are to nerd alerts. Okay, so teeny. I have another power of cast, but I'll save it for my nerd alerts. Okay. So let me set the scene for this film came out in 1989, the tail end of 1989. So what was happening in America and the world in 1989? You ask, I tell. Lexus and Infinity luxury car brands launched in the United States. Ah. George H.W. Bush was sworn in as the 41st president. Mm-hmm. Ted Bundy was executed in Florida. Wow. Thank you. The Exxon. Oh, wow. Florida got something right. <laughs> yeah. But did he, like, escape from there and stuff? No, no, so, um, Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska's Prince William Sound, which, uh, whew, whew. wow. Awful. Um, in April... Trisha, oh man, Malai. I'm I'm apologize, Trisha, for butchering your last name. She was assaulted and raped in Central Park, and five teenagers were convicted of the crime. Oh God! This was no. in 1989. It was vacated in 2002. And if you would like to know about that story, please watch Ava DuVernay's. When they see us on Netflix, this is do. It's known as the the. They're known as the Central Park Five, and for many years she was known as the Central Park Jogger. It's a horrible case, but this it is was horrible for her. But the fact that these five young men were arrested and incarcerated because of it, it it's just horrific. Horrific. 1989. Oliver North was convicted of the Iran Contra Ooh, affair. Yeah. His conviction was thrown out on appeal in 1991. Um, he had like immunized testimony. So good to be white. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you know, Central Park Five uh, was not so much. 2002. That I got vacated. But uh, yeah, 89 to 91. The Tiananmen Square protests were going on in China. Mm-hmm. So that's crazy. The famous, like, dude standing down a tr- uh, tank. Yeah. Um, Seinfeld premiered in July in 1989. And nobody nobody got it for yeah. many years. Colin Powell becomes the first black chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And mm-hmm. that, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, that's the highest uniformed, all the highest uniformed military people are in the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And then he's the chairman, so he's the one in charge of it. So that made him, a black man in 1989, like the highest 
military official mm-hmm. in the land. Mm-hmm. David Dinkins was the first black mayor elected mm-hmm. to New York City, 1989. Um, August 23rd, 1989, Yusef Hawkins was murdered. And he was a 16-year-old. He was shot in Bensonhurst. It was a mostly Italian working-class neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He and his younger brother and two friends were attacked by a crowd of 10 to 30 white youths. They were there to see about a car for sale, but the attackers, they had been waiting because they were told that a group of black youths were going to come to um, one of the neighborhood girls is was having a party. So, Oh, my God, those white girls. Yeah, and so they were lying in wait, and these guys were coming for a car, and it was this whole mob. He got killed. So this is New York City. It's the North, 1989. So, you know, uh, racial tensions were high. It's funny that people think, like, oh, now now it is. But it's like, guys, always had been. Mm Mm-hmm. The top domestic films, number five in the country in 1989, Rain Man. Number four, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Number three, Lethal Weapon 2. Number two, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And the top grossing domestic movie of 1989 was Batman. So just doing a real quick scan, at least Prince did the uh, soundtrack in Batman. So, but Batman was everything when we were in Germany. Remember, well, you had you had new Batman shirts, and everybody was so jealous because. Okay, well, I'm getting to that. But the best picture, the nominees for that. So the this happened like the following year, but for the films that came out in this year. So Born on the Fourth of July was nominated. Dead Poets Society, Field of Dreams, My Left Foot. And the winner was Driving Miss Daisy for Best Picture. And then in the Bush family lore, 1989, because Batman came out in the summer, and that was when we were getting ready to move because we moved from the United States to Bad Kreuznach, Germany. And that's why we had all of the freshest, flyest Batman gear because we got it from the States. And wait, didn't the Berlin Wall go down in 1989? I thought that was 1990. I, there was a lot of protesting going on in Germany in 1989. There was a lot. There was also a lot of coup d'etats. I I didn't realize that there were so many, so I didn't have my coup, my uh, what was that? My coupometer going. Um, but yeah, that was still hot and heavy. So. I remember us always being worried about the water supply because it would be so easy to do something to the water supply of um, our military installation in Bekreuznach. But we were on, we we didn't live on base. Like we were in military housing, but our water, our water was only like I thought that our water would have been the same that was attached to the local German economy. I don't know. I just I just remember hearing that. Christine, you had a nerd alert? Well, I have more things that happened in 1989. Well, oh, let's go. Do tell. Which I got from, I listened to two podcasts. Well, one in full and one that I didn't have time to finish. She, but is, she really researches. You hear this, people? Yeah, I do. Um, 
Friendly Fire is a podcast of a bunch of men that they review war movies. Oh. They watch war movies and talk about them. Oh, Poppy. So listen to that. that. And then there's another podcast called um, Black Men Can't Jump. And <laughs> they're, and then they're, they're saying is like the black, uh, black men can't jump in Hollywood. And they oh, follow yeah. that. No. Um, but, uh, on Friendly Fire, they were, they start the podcast with what happened in 1989 as well. And some of their call outs. It was more pop culture, I guess. But, oh, shoot. New York elected its first black mayor, as well as Seattle. Oh. And I think it says first black governor in Virginia. Sure. Douglas Wilder? I didn't research that part, so. It might have been. Boy, he was. Um, Oprah was making $30 million. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Some people slept on that. I mean, they let her become a tour de force, and it, yeah. I remember in our house, it went from Donahue to Oprah like that, like in a blink of an eye. Well, that's because I went back to work. (laughs) Donahue was in the daytime. (laughs) Oprah was after work. Bill Cosby donated $20 million to Spelman College, which at the time was the largest um, donation to a black college, but they returned it in 2015 after all wow. of the allegations. Um, because Spelman was a, a black women's college. Mm-hmm. So for him, yeah, I can understand yeah. them wanting to return it. Yeah. Like, mm. And the Arsenio Hall show premiered. The dog pound. (laughs) Now, that was a person who always irritated me. I never got on the... uh, I know, but I was never on... Didn't they just bring it back? He brought the show back, like, last year or something, didn't he? Maybe. I mean... Like, late night. (laughs) My weekend next weekend is booked. It's coming to America, too. So Yeah, it's going to be fun. But he always... He had a punchable face, and he always seemed to so kowtow to celebrities like so badly to me that was just my my impersonation of him my impression of him not impersonation <laughs> carry on um, my other nerd alerts are things that I researched I guess this would be the time yeah sure okay shine on drummer boys i was like what the hell is this kid doing yeah. in here and i just want to preface this by saying i hated history in co- in high school i hated history and i hated history i hated learning about history i just think it's so boring i used to now i get it i understand the importance but like my older brother is like a history grad student or something and like <laughs> but that could have something to do with it too just no that wasn't he didn't even live with us i had no clue at the time um I just, my dad was always watching the damn history channel so i'm stupid at a lot of this stuff when it I wouldn't say, well, hold on. Let's be nice. Like, uh, I'm uninformed. uninformed. I never ignorant. paid attention. Yeah. Right, right. So some of these things, who knows? Maybe it's common knowledge, but, but maybe but there's someone not, else like me who doesn't. And that's okay because remember when, like, when I was a kid, I hated mushrooms. 
Now that I'm an adult, I really like mushrooms, but sometimes they make my butt leak. Yeah, sometimes mushrooms don't like me. <laughs> but, you know, that's what you learn as you get older. So I was like, what is this little kid doing here in this war? Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a deep dive on Drummer Boys. Yes. Yes, please. Okay. So Drummer Boys had a bunch of different roles, but they were mostly, they had to learn all these different calls on their drums, and they communicated to soldiers to do different tasks on the battlefield. See, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. But it was not just that that they had to help with, because they also had to help the medical professionals oftentimes um, with holding down people during amputations and oftentimes carrying away this amputated limbs. Oh, wow. No wonder he was mute. Yeah. There were no, they didn't have weapons. So usually when the battle started, they would move to the back, but obviously like that didn't. Exactly. Yeah. The the back changes. The back can become the front very quickly. Um, but they were often very young boys. So there is one boy named Charlie King, and he died in the Battle of Antietam when he was only 13 years old. Wow. And then there was another kid named Johnny Clem, and he ran away from home at nine years old to join the Army. Wow. And he, rep- he reportedly shot a Confederate soldier at the Battle of Chickenagua in 1863. Wow. So... Yeah. I mean, I, I think guess that song Little Drummer Boy is about that. Yeah, my son at nine years old to have to just see all that. Wow. Well, and I mean, you got to think like he was nine years old and he was a mute. So that means he was born enslaved. What did he even get the luxury of knowing who his parents were? Or was he just sold off? Very and possibly, just, or his parents were sold off, and he was yeah. left with somebody else. And who knows all of the like? I'm surprised that more people weren't just mute. You know, the the horror. That and there is something called a selective mute, which means you have the ability to speak. Yeah, but I don't want to say shit because exactly, exactly. Yeah, like you see so much traumatic shit that you're just yeah. like shutting it down. Yeah, don't open this because there's too much that's going to come out. The other thing that I looked up was medical care in the Civil War. Oh, because that is a Civil War movie. Yeah, and that scene when they were in the medical tent. Oh, Mm -hmm. my God. So there is, like, a lot of misconception that they didn't, that there was procedures done when they could have used anesthesia, whatever. But, um, so a couple things to keep in mind. This was before the germ theory of disease was established because uh-huh. it was only 1860s. Uh-huh. It was before the sterile technique and antisepsis were known. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They had a few medications. Uh-huh. And we're often working on 48 to 72 hours with no sleep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And also, like, you could kind of just become a doctor if you were anybody. Like, it wasn't as hard, I guess, it is as, uh-huh. as it is now. You just kind of had to have, like, it was expensive to get the license. But after that, it was just kind of like, here, anybody can join. 
Before the war, the U.S. had a peacetime army of 16,000 soldiers and 113 doctors. But by the end of the war, there were over 12,000 doctors in the Union and 3,500 or 3,000 in the Confederate. So that's how many people just, like, became doctors. I'm, I'm a doctor. Yeah. I, can, I can use a, a jigsaw and cut somebody's mm-hmm. leg up. And they did. Well, I- yes, because three of four surgical procedures during the war were amputations. Mm-hmm. Do you, did, you, did your research tell you why there were so many amputations? Because it had to do with the, the bullets that were used. How the bullets wouldn't, like the bullets now, you know, they'll do through and throughs, but the bullets that were used back then, they would shatter the bones. So <laughs> it would, like, you know, you would get just shot in, and if you would get shot today in the arm, it would just be a hole and it would go through. But like the, how their ammunition was back then, where you got shot, it just shattered the bone. So there was nothing, nothing that, could, that be could be done. Be, the only even, thing get the saw. Even with today's medicine, there was nothing that could be done because the bone was shattered. Just shattered. Now, there. I am I am going to bring up at this point the book that you recommended to us, Teeny, uh, The Three Mothers. And that brought up the first gynecological mm-hmm. um, doctors that just um, performed things on enslaved women mm-hmm. without anesthesia seeing can we do a how C-section? far can i take this can we yes. do this without medicine? can we do a c-section no anesthesia can we cut the baby out of her no anesthesia um what else we could we can just go up in there and yeah there without anesthesia it just practiced on i mean we heard about the tuskegee the Tuskegee well, they, experiments. See, Will Isabella Wilkerson mentioned that in Cast mm-hmm. about how that's that's how it came to be done. And I haven't started it, but I will. There was that I think it was Cinemax um, show that Steven Soderbergh did called The Nick, oh, which yeah. was about the uh, New York. You watch it. I haven't yeah. watched it yet. This oh, is that's good. Knickerbocker, like the hospital, and it's it's that time period where they're kind of getting into, and this is how we discovered the things that we know now. Like right. a lot of dirty work had to go into right. being like, oh, th- this is what does this, mm-hmm. and this is, and oh, maybe we should start washing our hands. Yeah, and so now we are we are focused when we buy our cosmetics on animal no animal cruelty. That was no human cruelty. Like yeah, but it didn't. But they weren't people. Didn't think of enslaved people as people, and that's why it was well. And also, then you get the whole thing that to this day even happens because it happened with Serena Williams of people thinking that um, black people and black women have supersonic uh, pain threshold. And so when they say like, oh no, there's something like Serena Williams almost died when she gave birth to her kid. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because she had a a blood clot in her lung and she was telling people, I am a professional athlete. I know when something is wrong, something is wrong with me. And they didn't listen to her. No, because she was a black woman on a table and they're going, you don't know shit. Yep. Um, so, 
okay, if you think about if you had to get your leg amputated, like if you were going, how long of a surgery do you think that would be? I almost did have to get my leg amputated. Yeah, you almost did. I, I don't know. I was in a surgery. But they didn't, they would just give you a stick to bite on and maybe some whiskey. And if they would just If take you were lucky, off. you had some whiskey or And it was, so every amputation only took between two and ten minutes. Yeah. Oh, my God. They just saw that. They just off. saw it. That's why, like, every Civil War movie or anything, you oh you have to see the bloody saw that gets put down bloody and then gets mm-hmm. picked up to go mm-hmm. saw something else off. And they, right. Not cleaned. No. Go to the next person and saw. the next saw. one to saw through the bone. Hacksaw, but, not whatever I said. Hacksaw. There is a 26% mortality rate. The further from your torso that you had that it had to be done, the greater of your survival. But if it wasn't done within 24 hours, mortality was lower within the first 24 hours. Right. Because mm-hmm. gangrene. An infection, yeah. And mm-hmm. you think about the, like you you want to think like oh this was so long ago, but we've done movies because we do you know older movies and stuff, and there were people alive like what in the 50s and stuff that mm-hmm. were veterans so you would see people with mm-hmm. stumps and stuff in the 50s well now um, you do because of ied i not iud's mm-hmm. I, well yeah but i'm saying like it's easy to say how far away that was but like within your life oh yeah you know but i think they were a little bit it didn't hurt like they were able to, the technology was a little bit better. Yeah, now. Not a lot, but. Right. And, um, and still all of the, you know, phantom limbs, and it's, it's still, like, horrible and yeah. whatnot. But oh, the yeah. surgery to go about it is, the, you know, they, and they, and when they, I believe, and I could be mistaken, like, when they do it now, they kind of do it to give you the best chance of having the best, um, what is it, pro, prosthesis? Yeah, you know, they the, cut it based on exactly. where you yeah, get exactly. a prosthetic. Yeah. Um, a lot of people think that anesthesia was not used, but it was. It was first introduced in the United States in the 1840s and was used in over 80,000 cases during the Civil War. Chloroform was the choice because it had the quickest onset um, and it is non-flammable. There were only 43 anesthesia-related deaths during the Civil War, but... It was fairly light, so that's why people thought it wasn't being used. So, like, I don't think – it wasn't like they were, like, able to knock these people out. Yeah. Like modern day. Um, And then post-operative wound infections were a really big problem Mm. because there was no antibiotics. Um, And it went into a lot of detail about pus that I won't really Mm. read to you. I mean, because you got to think the humidity. If no one has ever been to the Mid-Atlantic, let me just tell you. Oh, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. Um, but also people died because of non-combat related illnesses, included overcrowded and filthy camps. We talked mm-hmm. about how many people were in that tent. Food mm-hmm. quality was poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was poorly stored, poorly cooked, and lacked enough vitamin C to prevent scurvy. You had to worry about scurvy. Mm-hmm. Not me. <laughs> Oh, you think that you would be just getting your little gin, your little gin gimlet delivered to your little miss? I just know that's what I want on my tombstone. 
Well, at least it wasn't scurvy. <laughs> Unless ironies upon ironies, it turns out to be scurvy. And that would be hilarious. Like, that would be hilarious. Well, that would be hilarious. The most common sickness among soldiers was gastrointestinal disorders, oh, which affected 711 out of every thousand soldiers a year. Um, so, like, 70%. Yeah. Um, they were rushing. And the mortality rate there of, of basically people were dying of diarrhea a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're eating food that you're not used to eating. Uh, it wasn't properly stored. It wasn't properly cooked. It wasn't properly handed out to you. And it's food that you ate because it was all you had. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's then just, how do you clean up properly? You're on the you're you're out in the middle of nowhere. And you yeah. can't wash. Like you're going because you have like dreadful diarrhea. So you're going out doing your, your butt's leaking. You're dealing with that, plugging that up. Now, what, are you going to wash your hands? No, you come back in, you touch everything, and then everybody touches everything else, and then they're all, butts all leaking. We just got, it's just, it's just leaking butts. Leaking butt syndrome. Tommy's had one this week. Um, oh, no. Here, okay, so that's my medical. Um, you were talking about the people based on real people. Oh, no, where'd it go? But Denzel Washington, not his whole character, but was based on a real person. Um, the scene where he grabbed the flag in the end really happened. Oh. And uh, his name was William H. Carney, and he was the first African-American Medal of Honor recipient. Oh, wow. Oh, It's like the first Medal of Honor recipient. Right, like why wasn't that his? It's based on him and his yeah, movie. Right, like Frederick Douglass is some, but he's not in this movie. Right, gee, um, right. So he was um, Carney was born into slavery in Norfolk, Virginia, in 1840. Um, his family was eventually granted freedom and moved to Massachusetts, where he was um, he got involved in academics. Um, he wanted to pursue a career in the church, but when the Civil War broke out, he decided that um, he should serve the military to help free the oppressed. And in March 1863, he joined the Union Army and was part of the 54th um, Infantry. Uh, it says 40 other black men served with him, including two of Frederick Douglass's sons, like you said. Say uh, his name again. Who was it that um, Denzel was based on? Carney, um, William H. Carney. Thank you. Um, he, on July 18th, 1863, the soldiers led the charge on Fort Wagner. During the battle, the unit's color guard was shot. Carney, who was just a few feet away, saw the dying man stumble, and he scrambled to catch the flailing flag. Um, despite several... Serious gunshot wounds himself. He kept the symbol of the Union held high as he crawled up the hills of the walls of Fort Wagner, urging his fellow troops to follow him. He planted the flag in the sand at the base of the fort and held it upright until his body was rescued. Hmm. Even then, he didn't give it up. Many witnesses said he refused to give the flag to his rescuers, holding on to it tighter until he made it to the Union's temporary barracks. So he lived. Um, 
he lost, he nearly lost his life, but not once did he allow this flag to touch the ground. Carney was promoted to the rank of sergeant for his actions, and he got the Medal of Honor, but not like that happened in 1863, and he didn't get it until 1900. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was William H. Carney. And my last one, can you believe it? I have another. You did so good. Oh, my last one was another power of cast, but we'll do it for this. So when we were watching in the end when they threw Matthew Broderick's body into the trench, I was like, would that have really happened, though? Um, but it did. And they threw him into the trench, some say because they said he was inciting a slave riot. So he deserved to be in the trench. Um, but his parents, so, so then people were like, we should remove him from the trench and give him a proper burial because he was in charge whatever position he was. But his parents were like, no, it's an honor for him to be buried there. So they um, left him left him in the trench. I thought I had more about that, but, um, no, but so I, I read that down. because <laughs> he was surrounded by the people with who he was in battle with and they wanted him to be there with them. Oh my God, I'm crying. <laughs> I know, Teeny got me. Oh, Oh, I mean, they. The shout out to his parents. Said that, yeah. yeah. I mean, and yes. they they said like the Confederacy said, "Hey, y'all white people, like you're in our eyes, you're inciting a slave rebellion." So exactly, like a you, race riot. Yeah, you're gonna get killed. Which yeah. I thought was the only redeeming factor of the whole movie being based on him was the fact that he really. It seemed like this dude was an okay guy in the end. Like, he really yeah. did, like, he really, he really meant well. He really was fighting for that, seemingly, not, like, just of, I don't know. Yeah. But it, it, I don't yeah. take back my statement. Yeah, I don't either. It's the thing of, like, how I enjoy this movie, but on the other hand, there's this huge glaring red yeah. flag of, yeah. and also the the thing with the, you know, Denzel Washington's character picking up the flag, like he wasn't doing that because he was about the union cause. He was doing no. it because that was his family. Those were his brothers. Yes, yeah, yes. Like, and and it kind of gets twisted how they twist it up of like, oh, now he's picking up because it's America and it's great. And it's like, no. And that's, no, the, that's the duality that. of what the American flag is, is that like there are people who like they salute it because of their brothers. Right. Right. And there are people who kneel in front of it in respect for their brothers. Wow, Teeny took us down a road. Okay, reheatables. So <laughs> I'm going to start with flogging. I, I flogging sounds so nice compared to what it is. It's whipping. Why do, yes. we, why do we say flogging when it's whipping? Or caning. Caning. Um. $10 a month is what the um, African-American volunteer regiment was paid, which is $20.76 now. Jesus. They're $20 a month? $20 a month to do that. Oof. And I'm also going to go with the negative reheatable of the tuft of chin hair. 
Well, that's probably all he could grow at that point. But it didn't need to happen. <laughs> Wesley didn't have a tuft of chin hair. Other negative rehitables? Um, I didn't do a lot, but I wrote medical procedures in the 1800s. Ooh, yes. good one. Matthew Broderick's face. <laughs> um, the letters, even though they were real. Um, and unpopular opinion, I love James Warner. I love the Titanic. I had an entire book of how to play the cello of the cello score for the Titanic, but I did not like this music. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. Well, okay. It, did you not like the music, or did you think it was overused? I thought it was overused and it didn't fit, and it was too much. And it, I mean, I guess it was just like a sign of the movies at the time. Yeah, yes. it's very uh, Hollywood. Yeah. And very war movie-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Erin? Oh, is that, that's all teeny? Mm-hmm. All right. I, <laughs> this made me laugh because, of course, my continuing saga to read the Counts of Monte Cristo, I was like, how large was that volume of Emerson that his mother sent him on the battlefield? Because... <laughs> I'm thinking you got to keep it very light, my man, and you're just getting volume sent. Yeah, you can't be. I can't be carrying a book around. Oh, right, right, right. Did you send my The Count of Monte Cristo? But it might have stopped a bullet. Yeah, true. Um, and then I called him Robbie in my notes. Robert. I was like, oh, Robbie. Um, when he was walking through the camp and he was just in awe of the the customs that he was like, they're so different from us. And I'm like, <laughs> maybe you should get outside of Boston, of your like rich Boston little upbringing. Cause, and they would be like, they're, look at all they're, they're doing. And it would just cut to like just guys relaxing and just hanging about. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure if you go to the uh, – confederacy like they're just doing the same thing so maybe it's not a racial thing maybe it's more of a cultural thing my mm, guy good point he's just like i can't but what this music that they're singing what is this they're so different and it was just right guys being like what you would think that they would do if they were in a camp to fight a, a war um Uh, We already mentioned it, how the Robbie said that the soldiers were better soldiers because they were slaves. And I was like, um, uncomfortable emoji. Yeah. Maybe they're better soldiers because they have some skin in the fight. And that is their freedom (laughs) and being recognized as an actual human being. Um, When he volunteered, and they're like, all right. Yes. Here's here's the here's the fort that the Confederacy has. There's this strip of sand that we can and we can pass, and it's like only two like shoulder widths apart. It's basically a suicide mission. Who wants who wants their shot at it? And I'm going to take the black people in. Does we'll go? They're like, you haven't been to sleep in two days. We're ready. We're fine. Um, but then I read that that may be historically inaccurate 
a depiction of what actually transpired. Oh, really? And that was that the current that whoever that that guy was that laid out the whole this is the objective and what needs to happen, and then all of the head of the different regiments got together, and after they met, then it shock came out and was like it has been decided. That my okay, yeah, that makes a whole lot more sense. It's going, and it's like, yeah, no shit, your regiment's going. Yeah, like half of those people don't even think that your regiment is actual human beings. So right, right, you are right. <laughs> okay. One of the things that I meant to research that it's probably gonna put it on my battery heatable, but I meant to research. Well, I tried to, but it's very hard to find because my computer couldn't understand what I was looking for. <laughs> is how did battles even happen? How did you know in 1860 to meet them there or that these people were coming, you know? Well, I mean letters, but I am by no means uh, an expert, but back in June, I did read ah, yes. Killing Angels, which was about um, Gettysburg. And so in my limited, ignorant opinion, this is what I think happened. They would send out your cavalry, and those were the the people on horses, and they would go out and they would scout, and they would kind of see where the line was. And the line is kind of where the other troops were. Because they didn't have drones and helicopters that could right. pick it out. So there would be people on horses and they would say like, oh, they're along this ridge and that's where they are. And they would also have like scouts and different spies and stuff who would say, oh, the Union soldiers, they're moving down this road at this pace and they should meet here. And it was all a bunch of spies seeing where the different mm-hmm. people were, were going. And a lot of it, like that's what you know, the war colleges and West Point would kind of teach was about how to get your different people into place because it was all about getting the the right ground. So you wanted the right kind of ground to set up your defense. The advantage. The -hmm. advantage. That's why, like, in Gettysburg, it's, like, little round top, big round top. Those are, like, hills and, and where you could set up so that, like, oh, you hear that, the Confederacy is moving in this way and they have this many soldiers. So if we get to this part of land, it has a hill and then they're coming up this road. We'll be going down on them. It's that kind of Ugh, Sounds like thing. too much work. It's a lot. Look at my negative reheatable. We'll say that. That's and and scouts. Much. The scouts were mm-hmm. the um, the people who could come back and tell them the terrain is this. This is where they are. A lot of moving pieces, and one of the reasons why the Union, I think, really won the the Civil War is because at Gettysburg specifically, uh, old Jeb Stewart and his cavalry, you know, because they were the hot shots. They were the equivalent of the, you know, the pilots, the helicopter pilots at that time. They were the guys that are on the horses. They were out, and they were just gallivanting, doing their own thing, their hot shot thing, and they didn't do what Lee had told them to do. And when all of the moving pieces got into it, like, if those dudes had done what the orders were and said to do, I might not be here right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, far from a done deal. 
So um, the $10 a month compared to the $13 a month plus the added bounty on your head. Because if you're a white service member in the union and you get taken as a prisoner of war, you're put to a prisoner of war camp, which isn't a walk in the park, but you're not swinging from a tree. Mm-hmm. You know, you get you're Before getting- being burned and having various parts of your body mutilated. Exactly. So you're getting paid less amount of money, but for more um, consequence, like you're putting more of your life at risk. And that, like just the Civil War in general, I don't know how anybody survived, period, full stop. When they got their shoes, mm-hmm. which also this is a bad reheatable because in actuality, because the governor was so into there being a black regiment, these the, the black soldiers actually in real life had everything that they needed. This whole shoe thing was just a Hollywood made-up thing. Really? Yeah, this wasn't an issue. Like, they actually did have, because the governor was all about it. And he's like, I'm the governor. You have whatever you need. I want this to work. Um, And in the movie, they just, that was a thing that they made up, that they didn't have their shoes. And then in the movie, my battery heatable specifically, is because when they got their new shoes, those things look super uncomfortable. I know. As someone with tender feet who has has a real issue with blisters, oh my god, you're gonna put blisters on these feet that have been marked. Uh, mm. I'm like, he had shoes and like he got the blister situation. Now you're giving him more uncomfortable. Yeah, but the, that's the way that his feet look. That's how my feet felt after the day after the wedding. Oh, really? Cause your shoes were gorge. They were, but. I didn't bring a change. I didn't bring a change. I didn't. I'm not. I am not a quitter. I am a quitter. And if there's anything, I know that on your wedding day, if there's anything I hate more, you heard it here first. I hate brides wearing converses. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so tacky. They're not very yeah. comfortable. And I'm sorry to probably eight of ten people that I know that switched into converses at their wedding, but you gotta switch into all birds. I switched into my um what are those um my slippers. I put on slippers and my pants were too long at that point, but guess what? My feet weren't hurting. Yeah, I was like this is too this night is about too much fun for me to worry about being cold. Because I changed out of my dress into some nice comfy pants. And how many people were jealous of you? I, the hate look <laughs> from all your friends, Christine. So. <laughs> I know. Well, Christine had to wear that dress as long as she could because, God, bless it, she was wearing that well, that, dress. Was a, that was comfortable. That was gorgeous. She had the, the custom-made jean jacket to keep yes, it Yes, she did. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah, but... Well, yeah. So yeah, that's just I relate. I mean, you know, I do too. Blister mama here. Oh yeah, <laughs> my feet, my feet. The when I was in high school in basketball, they got the trainers all to come in in a room and they got permission to take pictures of my blistered feet because my feet <laughs> blistered so bad. This is the first I've heard of this. Yeah. No, you remember because my feet, remember how I would like have this whole tape thing because my feet would blister so bad. Yeah. And I got you the, the soaking thing mm-hmm. for your feet. And then okay. I like that gel to put in. Yeah. Yeah. We are two positive reheatables. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with my positive. It was hard to do a positive reheatable of a Civil War movie. Well, I would think there's just off the dome, just one positive reheatable, but that's just me. <laughs> well, the, the fact that the Union won. But mine was, get ready to gag, but still, the mother-son relationship. Because he wrote his letters to his mother. Now, this is my thinking. Ooh. He mm. knew that his dad needed to hear from him, but he knew that letters needed to be addressed to mom and dad would read them too. But she needed that connection with her son that she hasn't had in over a year. Is she talking about this movie? Is the mom in the movie? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, who knows? Oh, apparently it doesn't matter that I sacrificed my entire life to visit twice. May I? Can I well, you know what? Women still don't mean shit in the family, okay? Uh-huh. My notebook started with mother-daughter relationship. I had to scratch out the D-O-U and put son. <laughs> okay. Go. So there you have it. That's your good reheatable, Christine. <laughs> I, thought, I thought they were very good action scenes for being 1989. Mm-hmm. True. That's right. Um, Denzel's stare. Denzel's everything. Yeah, but that was good. Um, and I wrote MB's last look at the ocean. NB. <laughs> Michael, not Bolton, Broderick. Matthew. Matthew <laughs> Broderick. Michael. Michael <laughs> Bolton's last look at the ocean. You wish it had been Michael Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> That's a recasting. You know what? Robert Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton. <laughs> that That's how I feel every time I have to leave the beach. <laughs> but now I just can't picture the locks of Michael Bolton under that union cap. Just telling him to charge. TV approved. <laughs> oh, mine. Okay. From a reheatable from last week. War is politics with bloodshed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Trip explaining why he didn't want to carry the flag when yes. Roderick mm-hmm. and. And then, like, I, you know, I mentioned it earlier how he embraced the colors because he had that scene where he was like, you guys are the only family I know. And it wasn't because he believed in the union. And also, I just fucking, as I've gotten older, I just love Tripp's anger. Denzel yeah. Washington, just that burning fury inside of him. Mm-hmm. Love it. I, 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 we are so lucky that they cast him in this role because somebody else, it could have easily not picked up and gotten the nuances. Like Denzel Washington, that's why he is a universal, national, universal treasure. Um, because he picks up on that. He, he, he didn't, his role, there isn't really anything assailable, unassailable, or assail, I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. Maybe not. But, He's just so, he isn't doing a Hollywood interpretation of what this character is. Like, he knows that he's in a Hollywood film, and he's getting this this opportunity to play this character. 
but he doesn't back down and give in to what uh like to to play nice you know and i just wonder what sort of like what things he put his foot down on it was like no i'm gonna say it like this no i'm gonna do it like this it was more what he didn't say in that role um verbally and what he said with his emotions and his then then what the the words were that he had to say he felt he felt real even though whatever like because this wasn't a story that was told by black filmmakers you Mm -hmm. know and just like having him in there and giving this performance it's like yeah that's and he was kind of up and coming but this definitely put him on the map of becoming denzel fucking washington exactly um Okay, there were 200,000 black Americans that fought in the Union ranks, and so the good reheatables that, you know, prior to 1989, America did not know that that was a thing, that 200,000 black people fought for their own freedom, and this is a nerd alert. I looked up, and so about 2.1 million people, men you know, served in the Union Army. So 200,000 isn't anything to shake a stick at. Like, that's not an insignificant amount right? to, to the whole. And of the Union Army, 25% of the white men that served were foreign-born. So we had wow. a lot of immigrants coming in and being like, uh, yeah, I'm fighting for the Union. And... Depending on where you grew up in what state, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that shapes how that was taught to you. I put as a good reheatable the Hollywoodness of this film. And I do wonder if it's such a thing of, you know, because we do so many, like that's what we do. We watch the Hollywood classics and there is that cheesiness. But then on one hand, there's that cheesiness that does feel nice and comforting and like oh and, and so i did put the hollywood like the the sweeping music that yeah. you're like this is a little too much and the the cinematography and the shots of uh christine's favorite broderick and the whole <laughs> the you know the whole sweeping hollywoodness of this and the and how they hollywoodized everything but to tell this story and it's like yeah you know if it tracks, like, from what we've been doing of Hollywood films, mm-hmm. this kind of tracks of creating this mythology. But it just kind of sucks that the mythology that they felt that they need to create is always based on that white savior right. character. Right. right. Um, this is more violent than I remember it. I specifically, when I saw this, there was a dude's head that exploded yeah. in watermelon. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. But he said he did that to let the audience know that this is what you got coming. You know, right in the beginning, that head exploding was, mm-hmm. get ready, buckle your seatbelt. And then this, I put the casting, because, of course, just Morgan Freeman, Denzel Washington. But also, in looking back at it, and this is going to be unpopular with Teeny, but... 
I thought, and actually Teeny is in line with the critics of the times. They lambasted Matthew Broderick's performance. Really? And casting. They totally were just not on board. Just with, they just were like, what is he doing? But when I was looking at it, I kind of liked it looking at it now to then because I'm like, oh, he's, he's just little Ferris Bueller. And it out of his element. Yeah, and it kind of made more sense to me now of seeing like, oh, he's just a he's just a kid, and he what does he even know about anything? And he's yeah, I I agree with that, and I like I think the casting was fine. I just don't like him as a person. Right, right. Well, people had big problems with his performance. Oh, I think he did a good. I think he actually did a fine performance. Yeah, because he was supposed to be clueless. Yeah. Yeah, young and young and privileged and having no idea. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was interesting because I was like, 1989, when was Ferris Bueller? Oh, that was three years. That's not that long in like mm-hmm. movie language. So people are just like, why is Ferris Bueller all of a sudden leading this army? Oh, is this his trying to be a, his a man role? And but I think it, it's a good reheatable because upon reheat, it's like, yeah, he looks really young and like he's Ferris Bueller having to take on this challenge. Wait till my recasting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are my good reheatables. Okay, so we are to quotables. Mm-hmm. I have piece of rat filth. I don't know who said that, but I liked rat filth. Oh, yeah. Uncle Abe got himself a real bargain here, Denzel. It's all a memory now the North Man came, Denzel. Uh, when they when they promoted Morgan Freeman to Sergeant Major, I ain't sure I want this, sir. <laughs> That's like, remember Adam when he was supposed to be the quarterback? No, no, not doing it. No, no, don't want that. No. We runaway slaves come back fighting men. And then when Del, when Denzel says, "What about us? What do we get out of this?" Mm-hmm. Those were my quotables. All I had was, "Is you an old man or is you an old woman?" I forget. Ooh. I don't know who said it. I don't know when, but I wrote it down. I think Denzel Washington said it to Morgan Freeman's character. Yeah, so we got a lot of Denzel quotes. Mm-hmm. Well, I have <laughs> Denzel quote. He was like, I didn't win, though, because he had run away from being a slave. And they're like, well, what did you do all that time? He was like, I ran for president. And they were, they were all looking at him. He's like, I didn't win, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. He busted out laughing. Um, oh, this is what you were talking about, Ma, when he says, I mean, what's the point? Ain't nobody going to win. It's just going to go on and on. And then Shaw says, somebody's got to win. And Tripp says, who? I mean, you get to go back to Boston, big house and all that. What about us? What do we get? And then my final quote, I can't believe you didn't put it down, Ma. It was the Irish, um... The Irish Sergeant Major, at one point he was like, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Uh, but he didn't say Fook and Joseph. Jesus, Mary, and Fook I didn't hear Joseph. it. I don't remember that. I would have put it down. 
Yeah, I just thought, because, and then there was that comment about how, like, the Irish are like, well, the Irish are renowned for hating black people, and I'm like, wow, because next to German, Irish is the next most whiteness I have in me. So, (laughs) not from my side of the family. (laughs) No, y'all are like 100% German and French. Yes, we are. Yavol. So, LVP. Mm-hmm. Have a runner-up. Running in sand. Running in sand mm-hmm. uphill. Terrible. I have the Confederate flag. But my LVP is being the first on the battlefield. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you think of the World War II movies when the when the when the the ships you know are at D-Day the longest day exactly and they're coming off and they're just getting picked off just yeah the first on the battlefield that's why they were like oh who's gonna go in and then in the movie volunteers it's like you are you speaking for your troops like (laughs) did you talk to us (laughs) do we have a say uh, okay, those were my LVPs. I already did mine. Teeny's LVP was a cast LVP, right? Mm-hmm. My LVP is um when they referred to the the Confederacy, they referred to them as seches. The the seches 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 Yeah, because they were, and I was like, that is the lamest slander. For anyone I've ever heard, I've never heard of, like, well, I've heard of them, oh, the Rebs, the Johnny Reb, the Confederacy, but they're like, the Sishes? <laughs> oh, well, look at a whole bunch of Sishes. I'm like, that's so lame. I wish that they had called them what they were and just been like, oh, you mean the traitors? Oh, the traitors? Well, look at the traitors over there. But, uh, nah. So, that's my LVP. Just, Seshes is the is the uh, barb that we can come up with. <laughs> okay. MVPs. I have a runner up, a, a an honorable mention. Uh, uh, Colonel Shaw releasing his horse before the battle where he knew everybody was going to die. The horse got to live. Oh yeah, horse got to live. I have cinematography and musical score. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. well, the thing is, is that when that, that glory score kicks in, you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. But I also was with Teeny, and like sometimes like, it would have been best to, like, like, can we not have it here? Just not here. But like that, you're like, oh, that is. I That's heard what that you get with a multi generational podcast, though. I mean, it was a swelling. I mean, and obviously this guy has one note. <laughs> it sounded the exact same as the Titanic score. Well, yeah, he's very he he was very influenced by Celtic sort of music and, and that kind of thing. Well, that would make sense, you know. But so, Christine, do you do you play the cello? Do I? 
I you had to. music for the cello? Yeah, she used to play that cello. Yeah, played for many years. How is this my first hearing of I went, this? I went to cello camp. Cello. I love the cello. Well, you know, I used to play the oboe. honors orchestra. We oh my God, Christine. A classic duet, the cello and oboe. Both of you, but no broken reeds, please. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is the first time, uh, not probably not hearing it, but actually focusing on one? it. Like you you sit down. Play. I wanted to play the bass, but my mom wouldn't let me because oh. she was too big. Too big to to try. I played the violin when I was in fifth grade, and I was like, "This is too small." I love cello. I love that. Christmas is writing itself. <laughs> Another hug coming your way. <laughs> you play the cello. <laughs> That's gonna be about. Well, a full minute of a hug. And then the, my whole year without a hug, that's going to be another full minute. That's a how really long is Adam's going to be? Uh, uh, I'm going to have to leave the room. Probably a day. Probably a full day. <laughs> he's, he's like climb back in the womb. <laughs> no, no, I don't want that. But his birth was so much easier than yours. But we're not going to go there right now, and we're going to move on to other people's MVPs. My MVP. No, it's Teeny's turn. You can go. Let her drink some wine. My MVP. That was a lot to digest. She's like, what is happening now? My MVP is Denzel Hayes Washington Jr. The single tear. How I mean, did that even single, happen? Well, well, according to Edward Zwick, he said because they had a special um, whip, apparently, that would not, like, cut his skin. And so hurt. Yeah, so he was still, like, whipping him. And according, again, to the director, he says White that director. the scene went on and he hesitated in calling cut. And the result of that hesitation is the single tear. The single tear, which which I, got him an Academy Award. I push back, and I am, con- I am firmly in the um, Denzel Hayes Washington Jr. camp of that motherfucker just knows how to act. And that's what happens when you let somebody act. Yeah. Like, that's just, that is one of, like, it's an iconic scene. He's just, and the way that he, when, because he gets flogged, and actually that's, it's um historically inaccurate because the military had banned flogging by that time. Oh, thank so God. Because as soon as you expose his back and see all the other scars, no. But it's that thing where he walk, you know, he's like walking up, and then they're like, he, you know, they give the punishment, and just that defiant how he throws off it, and then you see his back, and it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's not his first rodeo, Mm -hmm. and then he just starts going, and he's just giving the stare. But it's that as somebody who as listeners know just is very easily prone to the waterworks 
of that trying your hardest and your mightiest not to like, like you can't let it show. You can't let it show. You can't let it show. And then just that one tear comes down and and he's, and then he's just burning with anger that that one tear even came down his cheek. Exactly. Exactly. So then you give him that. Yes. That is all you will get. Yes. Oh, that is, that is an acting masterclass. Agreed. I also wrote Denzel because he did all of his own stunts. But then when I started reading more, I changed it. Well, it's Denzel, parentheses, William Carney. Yes. As my MVP. And then I was reading a little bit more about him about William Carney, which you were able to read, but yet we couldn't read enough about him to have him be an actual character named in this film. Right. Um, I found another article as we were talking. Uh, he was shot several more times after carrying the flag. He finally staggered to safety and was about to collapse and all of his comrades were cheering for him. And he said, boys, I only did my duty. The old flag never touched the ground. And he inspired a song, a popular song co-written by James Weldon Johnson, who also wrote Lift Every Voice and Sing. The Black Um, National Anthem? mm -hmm. He, I think he, I think his quote inspired that song. His uh, the writing's um, he after the war, Carney became the first black mail carrier in New Bedford, working for the Postal Service for 32 years. And when he died on December 9th, 1908, Massachusetts ordered all flags to be lowered half mass, and oh it was the first God. the first time the state had given such an honor to an African American. There is a life-size bronze statue of him in his hometown of Norfolk. Um, yes, so I changed my MVP to that. I agree. William H. Carney. It's just crazy how the, they just make you think, like Hollywood makes you think, oh, we had to come up with these fictionalized characters mm-hmm. because there wasn't, we just... It's, yeah, know. and like if you're going to use part real characters, why you, you know, like what, yeah. Well, yeah, are we, like are an we amalgamation. Just, why don't we do people? all fake and all real? Or if we're gonna use, base some things on this guy, why couldn't he just be this guy? And like, right, okay, that's not, I get it. Man. They wanted to use. There's not a lot known of him before this, so they. I'm sure they did for a movie. Maybe they had to do this for character development, and so you could really like see what it, you know care about it for Denzel. But but this is what happens when you have. It's not, I don't want to say that, get into that territory of who's allowed to tell what stories, but when you don't, this is what happens when the only stories told about black people are told by white people. Right. Or through white people's stories. Because if it, like, I, you know, if you're a director and you want to tell all these different kinds of stories, I don't want to say like, oh, you can't. But the problem is, is that other stories need to be told, and then then it's that like lifts every boat up in the harbor right. kind of thing. And if that's the story that you're trying to make this about the 54th 
abridgment, the why is the only factual things or factual people, the white people in the exactly because a thirty second. Here's uh, Frederick Douglass. Yeah. Well, and then also the whole thing about that they like what we were saying earlier about like oh they were runaway slaves and they didn't know their right from their left. Guess what? That's wrong. Actually, the governor wanted the 54th Regiment to be an elite unit. So most of the people, the black men who made up that unit, they were actually born free men. They mm-hmm. knew how to read and write. They were literally yeah. nearly there was all not a lot of free. It was, there weren't it a lot of freed slaves in there. Yeah, because mm. they wanted they wanted to be elite. They it was that thing of like, well, this is guys. This is the first black regiment. We just can't be throwing in who like this needs to like you know that whole thing that you're taught as a black kid of like you have to be twice as good mm-hmm. twice you know all of that like this is the first regiment that Governor Andrew knew that he was like no everybody needs to know how to read and write they know they're left from their right but then when Hollywood gets it to make the point come home it's like oh they were runaway slaves they didn't know their left from their right they had to be and all of that because of who's course, telling yeah. the story yeah and to and and also i don't think that it can be neglected to put away of what ended up winning the best picture oscar yeah. so i've never seen before i just know about it because i was alive at the times Driving Miss Daisy won the best Oscar. Glory wasn't nominated. Glory didn't do all that great in the box office. I wonder why. Because you have this story. And I'm sure that they blame black people on the lack of box office success that Glory had. When black people were like, wait, you're just kind of half telling. It's not like you're all the things that we've already discussed in this. And so... At some point, you just have to realize, like, oh, this is a movie. Who is it making feel good about themselves? And that's the audience for it. And then you look at, like, something like Driving Miss Daisy. And Hollywood has a history of that, of making something and patting itself on the back. And being like, we feel good. Like, whoa, look what we did. Look how good she is to that black chauffeur. Oh. Okay, we are to recasting. I have one. I have, I have one, one person. Okay. Uh, let me make sure I have the same person. Yes. I have one person to be recasted. Yes, ma'am. Thomas. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sterling K. Brown. Me too. How <laughs> did you not? The whole time I thought, is it Sterling K. Brown? Yes. Not even yes. just like the mannerisms, the way he acts. The entire thing was, mm-hmm. I kept going, wait, when was it Sterling K. This is mm-hmm. Sterling K. Brown. And then yes. Matthew Broderick uh, would be played by uh, Michael Bolton. <laughs> I love the Michael Bolton. I, I feel like I have a touch better show up but okay that's hilarious okay i'm gonna go so my shaw mm-hmm. timothy chalamet 
Mm. Oh, yeah. That's a a pretty good one. Yeah. Totally innocent, young. Okay. So my my Morgan Freeman, Rollins, Mm -hmm. is Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Because we're going with a little bit older, a little bit more Mm -hmm. mature. Mm -hmm. So to him, my trip is Travante Rhodes. Oh. Who is that, you might ask? No. Moonlight and United United States versus Billie Holiday. Can't you see him being just like... I would like to, I actually would like to see it because I don't think that I, in his performances, like those were the only two that I've really seen. I haven't seen the anger, the fiery anger. It's he's there. always been, he's always been like, like, but his anger has always been, it's there, but it's simmering. It's not simmering at the brim, like Tripp's anger, like Denzel Washington playing Tripp. Mm-hmm. That's good. Is that it? That is it because I think that is amazeballs. It's pretty good. Okay, my Shaw, I cast because I was like, who am I gonna? I don't know who to pick. So I picked from Fox's prodigal son, Tom Payne. That Shaw. works. Yes, that works. He's a British guy, but I'm like, but he, I, I could see that. And then as Trip, the Denzel Washington character, I picked. Because, hey, Snowfall is back. Why don't we get Damson Idris in okay, as Trip? Yeah. Just, you know, just that yeah. fiery burning. As Rawlings, who is the Morgan Freeman character, I went and got Roland Bryce, a.k.a. from The Wire, Weebay. I was like, yeah. Remember from The Wire? We then they have to look up Roland Bryce. Okay, so then for Thomas, this was crazy because I put this down before I watched the United States vs. Billie Holiday. I put down as Thomas, Tyler James Williams. And they're like, who is that? I'm like, oh, well, he was Chris from Everybody Hates Chris. And then I watched the United States of... Uh, versus Billy Holiday, and he's president. He has this huge role in it, and I'm like, isn't that? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the guy that yeah. is Thomas. That's crazy. Actually, it was when I was watching United States versus Billy Holiday that I came up with Trevante Rhodes. Because mm-hmm. I kept watching it, going, I know him. Where do I know? Oh my God, he's Moonlight. Yep. Okay. Christine, I'm assuming you didn't do a recasting other than Sterling K. Brown, which is totally me. And Michael Bolton. (laughs) And that's fair. So now we are to Tasty Nuggets. Okay. Um, When I was listening to the Friendly Fire podcast, they pointed this out first. The one guy was like, um, he was like, I just loved how the portrayal of the Confederate soldiers was all, it was all like overweight 58 year old men when in reality it would have just been like young 20 year olds and they were actual confederate reenactment people that did not get compensated for it they were just like there for a reenactment 
at Gettysburg, I believe, and they were just like happy to be in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a would, real thing. They would do that anyways. Yeah, yeah. that's that's like a, a dream come day. true for them. Uh-huh. Um, the other oh, the only other one I had was um, I looked into Capture the Flag because. I used did you guys I used to play that game at summer camp capture the flag we played it in Kansas but it was just a neighborhood thing well yeah uh so I was like is this my kids didn't go to summer camp because there's that well I had to go because my parents were at work so I had to be somewhere because I couldn't stay alone yeah I wish you knew us then. Yeah, we didn't go to summer camp. It wasn't a luxury camp. It was at a um, it was at a child care center for homeless kids. That- oh, Christy! <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I don't know why Blair and I met at this camp when we were like eight. I don't know why we. It was called Thompson's Children's. Oh, we didn't. I mean, that was the luxury and privilege that we had was that our mom was a teacher. So summers were just like. Okay, this fun. is me. We went to, I went to camp at Thompson's Children's Home, which empowers children and family to achieve their goals through trauma, mental health, and family stability. So I don't know why I ended up going to camp there. What do you, I feel like it's where Blair and I went to summer camp and we would play Capture the Flag in the Woods. Uh, it's an orphan. There's also an orphanage. <laughs> I thought an orphanage might be involved. Thompson's orphanage. Yeah. Oh, so I went to summer camp at an orphanage. Um, that's the kind of summer camp. <laughs> Which set you up perfectly for a it wasn't like up. stay away camp. My mom picked me up on the way home from work. It was just someplace for her to drop me during the day when I didn't have school. Well, this will teach her about uh, respecting and being grateful for the life that she has. Yeah. Um, So, but anyway, we played Capture the Flag, and it originated, or it's inspired by the Civil War. And in the Civil War, that's how you knew the battle was over. It wasn't by how many people were killed or anything like that. It was just... Um, so soldiers were known as color bearers or color guards that were appointed the duty of guarding the flag. Mm, okay. Some even risked their lives to save the battle flags. Color guards that successfully captured the enemy flag or protected their own flags were awarded the Medal of Honor, hence, um, William Carney getting the Medal of Honor. Mm. Uh, but over the years, capturing the flag has become downplayed into a fun backyard version known as Capture the Flag. Being played at Boy Scouts and camps all over the country. So, yeah. Where you split into two teams, and I remember we'd be in the woods, and it'd be like, here's your team, go hide your flag. And then you would have to run, and if you got tagged in the other team's territory, you'd have to go to jail. Uh, which is also, And then somebody from your... Um, team could go like free the jail. That was a very fun game. It sounds amazing. I think Adam would have been great at it as well. 
Erin would have been really good at it, but she would have overthought it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of went to my Adam would have been the first one on the battlefield. Yeah, my my whole thing was like to not be like I don't want to be captured, so I I just went and hid. Yeah, and there's I, nothing wrong. I'm with like that. I don't know how this whole thing's gonna shake out. I'm just gonna hide. I'm gonna. That was your whole thing. I'm gonna hide. I'm gonna wait here until I see how everything plays out. Hmm. That's that's pretty much how she was born. Yeah. Yeah. But I need to, uh, let me survey this land. Oh, I'm doing this again. Let me see what I'm getting into. Those were my only ones. Okay, Erin, your tasty nuggets. Um, let's see. Okay, the about the the pay discrepancy. So, um, we already mentioned how the soldiers in reality lacked very little because. Governor Andrew was so committed. In 1864, Governor Andrew offered to make up the the $3 pay difference from state funds, but the soldiers refused. They're like, that's not the point. Um, And then in the summer of 1864, they stopped that policy. So I guess they got paid the same amount. But a soldier in the 55th Massachusetts Regiment, he had... um, it didn't come soon enough for him because he was executed for striking his commander twice in the face for refusing to follow orders. So as like the whole pay discrepancy was like they were losing um, authority. You know, like morale was kind of going down in authority. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Like what are like, are you kidding me? Like this? This is so disrespectful. And so, you know, people were talking back and like that guy, you know, apparently struck his officer twice and he got. <laughs> yeah, you don't do that. Um, the screenwriter was inspired by the monument to Colonel Shaw and the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry that is in Boston Commons. It was unveiled in 1893. Um but recently it was vandalized, like last year in 2020, because I didn't know that. You know, given the the uh, education system in America, no disrespect, but I'm assuming that people in June saw this white Confederate guy, and I mean not Confederate guy, but a white uh, Civil War era soldier, and then these black soldiers, and was like, "What the fuck is this?" And so, like, you know graffitied on it and I think it's being cleaned and it's gonna be like reset up and they're gonna have like this like the QR codes and the whole like virtual teaching experience to say hey 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 actually but it but if you look at it it is very much in step with the glory movie and the whole white savior kind of thing because yeah. it is the guy Robert Shaw on his horse, and then yeah, it's, just, it's all about Robert Shaw, yeah, and then the people him, behind the, him. the black soldiers are just like behind him marching, and it's it's in the it uh, depicts the scene when they're leaving Massachusetts and they're walking through the parade, and people mm-hmm. are like, oh, you "Go!" But it's just him front and center, and then the yeah. rest of it. So. It's true. It's true. Um. Let me, oh, we already said how, like, the Antietam stuff was 
shot at Gettysburg during a major reenactment. The director, Edward Zwick, did not want to turn glory, quote, into a black story with a more commercially convenient white hero. You you didn't? Because that's what you did. Pretty much the whole movie. Uh, albeit in history of Hollywood, better than most attempts, but that is what you did. Um, but then Morgan Freeman noted, quote, we didn't want this film to fall under that shadow. This is a picture about the 54th Regiment, not Colonel Shaw, but at the same time, the two are inseparable. Mm. It was just, pretty much a story of Robert Shaw. And, oh, by the way, we have these, you know, these supporting cast people. But it falls in line with 1989. I mean, it really falls in line all the way up, I would say, to at least 2020. I think now maybe it would be something that people would stop and say, oh, excuse me, excuse me. Maybe we can have some other some other voices in the room to write this. Again, a, a white director, a white screenwriter, a writer, correct? A white producer. Right. Yeah. So they were telling the story of Robert Shaw. And, oh, by the way, he had these, these formerly enslaved people. But when you're... When you're looking at the history of how Hollywood had depicted this, to them, it would be very easy to be like, no, this is different. When in reality, it's not. You know what I right. mean? Right. But to how everything, like this story wasn't even told. And now we are in 2020 and we can kind of nitpick and be like, oh, you fictionalize all of the black characters. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. made us think that it was because, well, there isn't any information of them. Of course, that's a, if there was, they would tell that. And then we're finding out, like, no, there is information, like super interesting stories mm-hmm. that we can name off the bat, and you didn't. And it's that kind of, like, what more do you want from me? Look at, you know, that patting yourself on the back of, like, no, I'm a good one. I'm an ally. And it's, like, yeah. you can't say that you're an ally. Like, that's bestowed upon you by other people the 1965 james stewart film shenandoah also depicted black soldiers fighting for the union but the script suggested the union army at that time was integrated which is hilarious because the united states army was not officially integrated until july 26 1948 so and then in Hollywood. words only. In words only. Yeah. Yeah. So that I think that's a that's an interesting. Maybe we should do that movie at some point because that's 1965 and the whole gaslighting and who gets to tell the story and like mm-hmm. look look at we're America we're great. Um, a major, like I already said that the majority. Oh, the attack at the final end of the movie. Nerd alert. That came from the opposite direction. They actually attacked from the opposite direction because oh, of... Oh, really? They weren't yeah. on the on the ocean side. No, they were on the ocean side, but on the other side. On like the, the other side of the ocean the side. side of Got it. Okay. Um, Have you ever tried to run in sand? Yes. Remember yeah. the blister I got? Phew, man. That's just uphill and people shooting at you 
coming oh man so that fort was occupied by the union um in september 1863 because the confederacy eventually abandoned it they're like we can't keep defending this fort and so they abandoned it and so then that's when the union took it because i think there's a title card at the end of glory that says it was never captured but Mm -hmm. it was because technically the confederacy abandoned it and then uh, so it wasn't captured it was like okay they left so we can take it over right now we have it ha ha stars um the boys choir of harlem is featured on the score Mm -hmm. and this received nominations for the Academy Awards in Best Art Direction and Best Editing. And it won the Academy Award for Best Sound, Best Cinematography, and Denzel Washington won Best Supporting mm-hmm. Actor. And Morgan Freeman also did all his own stunts. And those are my tasty nuggets. Was anybody else nominated for Best Supporting Actor? Yes. Because I... <laughs> no, I mean from this movie. Oh. Because I felt like Morgan Freeman could have been nominated. Well, he I was like he was nominated uh, for best actor for Driving Miss Daisy, remember? Because oh, that came out okay. the same of year. Course. Of course. But he did not win. Daniel Day Lewis, I believe, won for my left foot. Well, Daniel Day Lewis is forced to be recommended no. but i'm just i thought i felt like shart and trip and rollins were were each really good as supporting actors mm-hmm. yes but i don't think they maybe morgan freeman i didn't look i don't think he was nominated but he could have been i'm sure he wasn't nominated in two categories because come on Right. Let's not give him too much. But Shart definitely wasn't. And Shart didn't, he had, like, some roles here or there, but not not what you would think. Because I feel like he was excellent. He was. If somebody, and you you don't know the behind the scenes, but that's sort of the whole extra layer of tragicness of it, of, like, well what was going on and like maybe that wasn't something that he wanted to pursue or just how many roles are there for people in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and know? how many how many um people of color can we nominate for an award because you know we don't want these people thinking you know becoming uppity oh oh my but no that yeah that's the way the I mean, they're like, hey, we made Glory. What else do they want? Exactly. With a white director, a white screenwriter, and, yeah, through the the eyes of the white characters. So what else is there? But all that said, for 1989, it is just a sweeping Hollywood epic. I much prefer this to Gone with the Wind. I just have to say And there is that. So, listeners, our lovely listeners, all 13 of you, we love you so. Next week, what? It's me. Is it not? Christine. Now, we're going 
one year more into the future. Okay. 1990. 1990. 1990. Um, we are going. It's nothing like this movie. Absolutely nothing like this movie. Good, because we need a break. It's a complete 180. Could you call it a film? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, you could, I guess. I don't know what the definition. But are we talking Oscars? Probably not. Oh, my Christine. Here we go. It's another face that I kind of hate, but I think a lot of people love it. Oh, this is the wild card, Teeny. Man. Um, What other hints? Another hint. 1990. Falling down? Never heard of that. No, not that. Um. It's only an hour and 47 minutes. Okay. It has one of the top white male actors of the 90s. Top white and the 90s. Mel Gibson? No. Um, and it has a very big female actress who was recently, who was still big. Nicole Kidman. Far it away? No. Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman's in it. Tom Cruise? Far Tom Cruise away? Is in it. No, I don't know what that movie is either. Days of Thunder? Yes. Days of Thunder? We're doing Days of Thunder. I just finished reading One Hell of a Ride, which Aaron gifted me for Christmas, written by Liz Clark. Highly recommend for anyone who doesn't like NASCAR even. Thrilling tale. Liz Clark is a fantastic writer. She writes for the Washington Post. She's on the Tony Kornheiser show occasionally. She used to write for the Charlotte Observer. Mm -hmm. She's a fantastic writer. So I knew that at least it was going to be extremely well written. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I figured you would do Days of Thunder. 1990, Days of Thunder. Thunder. I can't wait for all of Teeny's takes on this. Oh, my gosh. NASCAR, because I know nothing. Oh, wow. Well, I know NASCAR. a lot now. Tony Scott is the director. Never heard of him either. Yes, Tony Scott's but he's brother, big. brother, Ridley Scott. He tragically is no longer with us. Nicole uh, Robert Duvall? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is Wait, probably Carrie L. Carrie, wasn't Carrie L's just Right, right. Wesley is in this one. John C. Riley. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me, but going back to Nicole Kidman, curly-haired Nicole Kidman. I yeah, like curly-haired. I do think the POC count is going, well, Michael Burgess looks like he plays a young doctor. Fred but, Thompson? Fred All Thompson, right. Law & Order? Fred Thompson? That went on Richard to Petty himself? So, okay, we're going to do some NASCAR next week. Terrible reviews. Terrible reviews. Oh, that's that's our best Rotten stuff. Tomatoes. The tomato meter is 38%. Oh, man. 38 is higher than something Aaron had me watching on Netflix, so that's good. But... <laughs> This For the audience score, sixty percent. Is there this the movie go. where they met? Where Kidman and, and people love to hate NASCAR. I don't know. People don't have any respect for NASCAR. That's well, true, but it is. I, I'm sure we'll get into it next week. It is kind of part of it is very unfair, and then the other half of it is like, yeah, kind of. It, it makes sense. 
if you like yeah yeah it, it's like like there's a certain hurdle that one must get over too i the, don't the think it's kid. the one where they met though well, Far and Away was the movie where they, it was like their, um, it was the immigrant story. I think Far and Away is where they met. And this is their follow-up? This is very exciting. I'm very excited. Wild Cartini strikes again. Okay. NASCAR is coming to Gone with the Bushes. Vroom, vroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> vroom, vroom. Okay, we hope you liked our our rendition of Glory and listen to us next week for Days of Thunder and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.